welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lure, and I'm looking forward to a very interesting conversation this evening. My time in the morning, they're calling in from Dakar in Senegal, Mr. Papa Masata Jaik. Welcome to the podcast, Papa. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you very much for hosting me, Marcus. It's a good uh, pleasure to join your podcast group yes. and to speak about uh, many things with you today. Exactly. And, and I, I'm looking forward to this because we have we go back quite a bit. And, and I'd love to start there a bit uh, to give our, our listeners a bit of an idea even how far we go back. Both of us met in 1993 at the World Championship of Athletics in Stuttgart, Germany. Um, I was uh, an intern at, uh, at ISL doing some stuff with their hospitality there during my MBA uh, summer break. Um, and I believe you were already working with ISL at that time. Uh, and we'll get into that a bit more, a bit more later. But uh, just a short introduction on you. Um, and certain folks will recognize your name, of course. Um, but not everyone, maybe. So let me just take, you know, give people a bit of a quick idea here. So you are of course, originally from, from Senegal, um, brought up and, and studied both in France and the United States. Uh, so I have a very, you know, uh, broad background there. Um, you started off with ISL in your early days of, uh, of your career. So we're going to touch it. We'll go, definitely go into this. And, uh, but, you know, I would say you know, very quickly, you started off your own business then. Uh, Pomozi Sports Consulting, and, and uh, that's we're going to spend quite a bit in there. So uh, you are clearly are an entrepreneur in the true sense of the world. Uh, word uh, being in this game now for you know for thirty years and over thirty years in total, but uh, even on your own for you know over twenty, of course. Uh, being an African entrepreneur, so we're going to touch on that a bit. Um, and all this sort of things going on with, you know, maybe in the U.S. We'll touch a bit on that. And, of course, we'll talk about, you know, where is the African continent heading in the world of sports and, and what are the challenges and opportunities there. So I, I'm really looking forward to digging into all this. But as we always do uh, at the beginning, we just sort of start a bit warming up into how you got into the world of sports uh, in your early days of it. Please uh, give us an idea. First of all, I would like to say that I, I, I'm from a uh, background of sports in my family mm -hmm. uh, because I'm heading from a family where football, uh, athletics, um, uh, table tennis, uh, volleyball, uh, uh, swimming has been uh, a main passion for our family. And uh, to, uh, to three of my uncles, actually the first uh, leader of the sports federation in football in Africa was my uh, father's big brother, Mr. Michael Jack. He was an executive okay. from Shell Marketing. And then he was he set up the, the first professional league uh, at that time in 1948. In 1960, he was the uh, president of the first Senegal Football Federation. Wow. My father has been a coach of football, has been an athlete himself. He was the long jump champion of France in the 1957 to 59. Wow. Olympics in Rome, but unfortunately he got a knee injury. And mm. his brother also was a big coach of one of the biggest clubs called Foyer France Senegal. So it's in the family background, but I was not the big man of that family. I was just uh, interested into it. But eventually when I finished my school, I was invited in uh, the World Cup in Barcelona, the FIFA, at the IWF World Cup uh, and I met President Samaranch, President Nebbiolo, 
I met Orlan Castle from uh, IWF, being the IWF uh, vice president in charge of marketing and television. Mm-hmm. And he questioned, well, I'd be interested to join into sports. I said, why not? Uh, well, uh, I visited him when I was in the U.S. Uh, for Thanksgiving. I spent in Indianapolis uh, Thanksgiving. And then uh, he introduced me to the people of ISL, uh, Peter Sporges and Craig Thompson. That was <laughs> basically in the lobby of a hotel, uh, Princess Sofia in Barcelona. Oh. Where my venture with sports started. Yeah, okay. That's that's in the what nineteen ninety now, right? That's how this is thirty that years ago. 19, uh, that was yeah, nineteen eighty nine exactly. Right. Uh, what wow. was in August and September? I went to work in the IWF headquarters for an internship with John Wigley, Penny Belsham, and uh, John Holt was general secretary up in Hans Crescent in London, and then in February. Of 1990, I joined ISL Marketing in Lucerne, in Switzerland. And that's where I eventually met you in 1993. That's right. So tell us a bit about your ISL days. I mean, you know, I've recently had uh, Dominic Schmidt on it, who obviously is, a, is an all, you know, was in, spent many years in ISL and especially in the football space and had some great stories to share. And, and I know you guys actually did some work together, which, you know, maybe there's something you went, I think you might have wanted to clarify. But uh, um, but are you, how, where were you when you were with ISL? You were involved in the football side of the business or which, which side were you working on? Actually, uh, I was fortunate to be the only uh, employee which was uh, polyvalent. I started in the athletic department with Peter Sporges and Craig Thompson. Mm-hmm. Then I went to work with uh, Andrew Craig and Luis Caruilla in the uh, Olympic department, for the National Olympic Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on, with uh, Laurent Charapin signing up all the National Olympic Committees all over the world and doing special projects in Africa for certain Olympic Committees. Then I moved to football in 1995. They were looking for somebody to send to Qatar for the FIFA uh, Coca-Cola World Youth Championship. Right. Nobody right. wanted to to go. At that time, nobody knew what is Qatar. It was a tiny country in the middle of nowhere. Right. So I volunteered to go there. I spent two months in Qatar with Ross Berlin and uh, Rafik Kresati of Coca-Cola. And I helped the football department set up a very successful event in Qatar for the first time. All right. And uh, I met, the, uh, at that time, the heir apparent of Qatar, Sheikh Ahmed bin Khalifa al-Tani. He was just the heir apparent and minister of defense in the stadium, and he told me, Papa Jack, I would like you to help me bring sporting events into my tiny, little, and unknown uh, uh, Emirates. Wow. At that time, he was the, the Emir. Yeah. I kind of said, I'm ready to help you set up an, uh, an invitational meeting. He was interested in two athletics, mm. and uh, also tennis, help him secure the sponsorship of uh, ExxonMobil uh, for the ATP uh, Qatar Open, which is still on. Uh, so I was <laughs> a pioneer in that uh, sense uh, mm. to discover Qatar as a big sporting country. And then uh, when I was did that successful event, they sent me to South Africa. Because South Africa was just opening up, and then Mandela became president in 1994, mm. and they had the African Cup of Nations, which was planned in February '96 for the first time in South Africa after so many years of uh, expulsion from the FIFA and the IOC. Mm-hmm. So that's basically uh, how I joined ISL. So I worked athletics, Olympics, and then Sunday kind of merged all those activities and tell me, Papa, 
will be in charge of the African project. So, uh, so you know, it sounds like you, you obviously had in, in the early 90s here, um, being part of ISL, which we're all, you know, many people now by now have kind of worked out as it was an incredible organization and, you know, the most powerful probably sports agency in the world. Um, and your job, you know, moving around from the Middle East to Africa obviously sounds incredible. Uh, but something obviously happened somewhere there in the 96, 97 uh, range. Uh, when you then left, uh, you know, ISL and set up your own company, you know, talk a bit about that, uh, you know, what, what triggered that and what, uh, you know, why did you set up your own agency? Uh, because I had a disagreement with Jean-Marie Weber, Christophe Malms and Stefan Dixon, uh, because it was an agreed that uh, once I did a successful African Cup of Nations, they will set up a ISL Africa division with right. a company called First Force Management. I did a feasibility study, the business plan to set up the African, because I was really a bit also lonely in Switzerland, uh, which is really not my <laughs> ideal country to live in. Very cold, people are very, very shy, and things. I'm a very vibrant person, so I wanted to go back to Africa. Right. So uh, actually, I uh, disagreed with them on to that strategy. I had some problems also with uh, Stefan Dixon and Dominic Schmidt, uh, uh, because... Uh, of Coca-Cola branding during the African Cup of Nations opening ceremony. So I just uh, slammed the door of ISL and I went on my own and started Pamodzi in April 1997 with a group of South African business people at that time talking about Black Economic Empowerment Group. Mm -hmm. There was a guy called Unla, the chairman, the executive chairman of McCann Erickson in South Africa, Nabasele, Solicitole, uh, three, two of the Soviet prominent business people. And we set up the Pamodzi Sports Marketing in April 97. And I became the marketing agent of South African Football Association, uh, the Premier Soccer League, helping the uh, city of Johannesburg organize the African Games in 1999. Right. And also uh, working with the Nelson Mandela and the Minister of Sports, uh, Steve Chwete. So I was uh, in South Africa really like a lonesome cowboy because uh, I, I had such a tremendous experience in sports marketing and South Africa was just opening up. It was a very good venture. I moved that company to Nigeria, to Senegal, and to Togo. That company became the marketing agent of Nigerian Football Association for the FA Cup, for the Premier Soccer League. Also in Senegal, I became the marketing agent of the Lions of Senegal for the 2002 uh, World Cup in uh, Korea and Japan. And then for Togo, I became the marketing agent for Togo Football Federation for the World Cup in Germany in 2006. But Morzi has now over 23 years of existence, has been doing quite well uh, in many, many sports, uh, going from athletics to football to judo to fencing, uh, even to traditional wrestling. It was a traditional uh, wrestling style. So, it was a very good experience uh, up to date. Yeah, I love it, and, and of course, 1997 is when TSA started too. So uh, we we have some parallels there to compare notes. Uh, that's awesome. I love it. Uh, now, when you started, you were based at that time out of South Africa, or where was the first office? Yeah, I was based in Johannesburg. It okay. was my headquarters. Right. Uh, then I affiliated uh, in Nigeria. Then later on, one in Senegal, and then later on in Togo. But uh, after finishing all those projects, I sold my shares, my interest into those companies to my local partner. 
uh, in in Nigeria was Mike Mwagbor. He's still on. He's Pomodzi Sports Marketing Nigeria. Pomodzi Sports Senegal still my my company. But Togo, I also sold it uh, uh, to a consultant there. Mm. And then I moved back to Senegal uh, to set up a permanent in Senegal. And I've not lived overseas uh, since then. In 2001, I became permanent resident of Senegal. Gotcha. Interesting. And uh, so... And again, and I, I love that you know the the, the breadth of the, uh, the the sports you work with, and, and we'll definitely come back that uh, a bit later. Um, but of course, then you uh, you also started to move into into the IAF side of it. Uh, again, part of it comes from family there uh, and other things. So let's let's go a bit into into the world of uh, of that. Um, I think you know, what I've seen from your your list here is 2007. Uh, you became a consultant to IAF. International Athletics Federation uh, for Emerging Markets. Um, was your father already uh, the president at that time, or, or a, obviously a fa fairly senior official, right? No, he was president uh, in 1999, uh, replacing Primo Nebbiolo, uh, who died in November 1999. Ah, right. Then uh, he became full-time president uh, in his own mandate in 2001 in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, uh, you remember ISL went bankrupt in May 2001. Yes. And uh, FIFA and IAF were the most exposed federations because ISL had a bank guarantee uh, on those two, uh, two federations, right. and guaranteeing a uh, substantial amount of money. And IWF was about to lose an income of close to $9 million per year, which was crucial for the uh, the uh, running of the federation. Right. Uh, so uh, my father at that time set up a working group, a task force, composed by Helmut Diegel, professor from Stuttgart. Mm -hmm. uh, then Pierre Weiss, the general secretary, at that time, the director general at that time, mm -hmm. Kim McDonald, a British agent. Jean-Marie Weber was the uh, defunct chairman of the board of ISL mm -hmm. to look for a replacement for ISL. And I was brought in as an expert in the hospital marketing industry who set up the criteria for selecting the marketing company for, uh, for uh, IDF. IDF. Right. And who, which, who became the agency? I, who, who, I have to make I don't recall. Denso. Denso, that's right. Yeah, and uh, Denso, Denso took over, that's right. Denso won the bid with a minimum guarantee of $93 million. Mm -hmm. And um, they became a marketing agent and what they did, Denso was a shareholder of ISL, as you know. Yes. They had 20% share of ISL. So they went to just take over the entire athletics department of ISL. Right. At that time, there was two leaders, uh, Stefan Budahel and uh, Christopher Horrigan. Uh, Christopher Horrigan was also working with OCA on the Asian Games. So that company became the uh, link between the IWF and Denso. And, uh, sorry, the IWF and Denso, yes. Uh, being based in Europe and also with a good background of uh, running athletics events all over the world for ISL. Mm. And that was it. So th they've been partner, I think, since. But in 2000, me, I went back to my, uh, after the, that, that process took about 59 days. Then uh, they replaced, they, find, they signed uh, in September 2001. Mm -hmm. In September 2001, I became marketing agent of the Football Federation. So I left athletics. <laughs> I went back to football. Back to football. Uh, I left. Uh, my father obviously wanted to hire me in Monaco, which I refused. 
because I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a public servant. Right. <laughs> I believe uh, you have to have the mentality of public servant to work for a federation. Right. <laughs> I'm not that type. Right. So I, I went back to Qatar. I, I, I accompany uh, Senegal Football Federation in their venture for the African Cup of Nations in 2002 in Mali. Mm. We went very successful, went to the final, beaten by Cameroon. Then uh, eventually to beat France on the opening game of the World Cup. That was the best, best moment of my sports marketing career. Right, okay. uh, being from a small, tiny country called Senegal, beating the incumbent uh, <laughs> uh, World Cup, FIFA World Cup. Uh, yes, I remember. This is 2002, right? You talk about with France being the champion, of course, in 98. Yes, yeah. uh, bring yeah. into successful companies as, as, as sponsors. About uh, 39 companies joined me, organizing friendly matches all over the world with Korea, Japan, uh, with uh, Uruguay. So we had very good venture. And then awesome. I just moved into football. I, I stayed 2002, three. And due to 2006, uh, I was in the African Cup of Nations uh, in uh, Mauritius. And then uh, my father called me and said, listen, we have a marketing seminar and the marketing commission in Beijing during the FIFA, uh, the IWF World Junior Championship. Mm -hmm. Would you like to join us? Because we have a problem. We only have Japanese sponsors. TDK, right. Seiko, Epson, Mizuno, uh, TBS, and uh, another company, Canon. Right. And uh, we don't have, uh, we have Coca-Cola, but Coca-Cola is going to finish in 2007. We really want to have your input uh, on why Genshin can only sell, sell to, to Japan. Right. So That's what Denso does best. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Course, that's their stronghold. I, I was invited for that, and I went for the first time in China uh -huh. in July 2006 which was uh, one of the emerging markets, which I was very eager to discover. Right. After 10 days, uh, after the discussions uh, we had there, I told them the only way you can grow your federations and the sporting property and your sports in general is you have to move to Asia. You have to move to emerging market like Russia, like India, like China, like South Korea, like uh, uh, Mexico, like uh, Turkey, like... Uh, Argentina. So you have to move because IWF is seen like a, uh, you remember the Golden League between yep. five European cities. Uh, European focus. And uh, London. So I said, you have to move from there. Europe uh, and the participation of Europe in the Arctic will die. Mm -hmm. And they like my recommendation. And uh, they didn't know that the president has a son uh, which has uh, expertise in sports marketing. And then so stuff was there. So everybody kind of said, Papa, but why don't you come and work with us? <laughs> I said, listen, there's nothing because I don't want to be called for nepotism. I want uh, to stay in my football. But if you need me, you, you know, you can call on me. You, 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 you pay me my per germ and I come in and secure a deal for you. Right. Oh, see, then one of the members in the, in the marketing commission was Valentin Balanechev from Russia. He was the vice minister of sports, president of the Athletic Federation. He said to me, why won't you come to Russia? I I can introduce you to Gazprom, to Lukoil, Rosneft, uh, VTB, Sberbank, uh, come in, Al Rosa, the diamond company. I said, okay. Uh, you know, maybe around uh, October, November, I don't have that much uh, football match uh, plan. I can come in and, and we can, you know, have share. I went to Russia for a seminar and for 
discovering Russia, and eventually made some presentation for them for us then to, to join me if they want. They said, me, and if we're not that much into Russia, you will leave it to you to explore. Mm. And then in 2007, the IWF offered me a consultancy agreement to help them develop this business prospect in the emerging market of right. Russia, India, China, South Korea, Mexico, Turkey, and most importantly also the Middle East, uh, Qatar, because they know my relationship with the Emir of Qatar. Uh, they know that I, I'm a Muslim, I'm, I speak a little bit of Arabic. Mm. I went to Abu Dhabi and Dubai. So basically that's how this venture of IWF started as a consultant. Right. back in September 2007. And I brought them VTB Bank as a sponsor from Russia. I brought them Samsung uh, as an electronics company. Mm -hmm. I brought them also uh, Sinopec, a Chinese company. Yep. And uh, later, I seek uh, Qatar National Bank and Abu Dhabi Media. So I brought from the emerging market uh, six companies. And eventually, our... Uh, our our roads came across you and me. Yeah, in we India. did cross again in India. That's right. Uh, just to give me a sense here on uh, on the on the numbers. I mean, you know, uh, what sort of scale are we talking about? Some of the deals you were doing here, uh, you know, millions. You know, we done millions, tens of millions here. What? Yes, I brought into the IW life close to two hundred and sixteen million dollars from wow. the emerging market between two thousand seven and two thousand fifteen. Wow. Uh, the biggest deal uh, was VTB because they've been my sponsor for eight years. Then I brought Samsung for almost $29 million. I brought in Cyanopec for $21 million. And for the first time, a sponsor was ready to pay for the prize money of the World Championship in Athletics, which was a big savings for the IWF, uh, $7 million per year. And for the World Championship. And uh, eventually... All the future bids had to bring in a guarantee to pay for the prize money with their own sponsor. Otherwise, uh, they won't uh, be hosting the World Championship. So, IWF saved close to $28 million. Mm. So, basically, we discovered step-by-step the beauty of... Uh, bringing into the sporting marketing because uh, most of those emerging countries were hungry for sporting events because mm -hmm. they wanted to be among the big countries, the big players. And to be among the big players, you have to be uh, hosting the World Cup or the uh, Olympic Games or the World Championship in Athletics or the World Championship in Basketball or the World Championship in Swimming. Yep. So everybody was eager to, to, to go that route, uh, especially Qatar and uh, uh, Russia and uh, you know, I'm not surprised that they, they've been able to host the World Cup now. Mm. So that yeah, was absolutely. I love that uh, connection there, which you mentioned earlier with Qatar. So that's basically uh, how my... Uh, uh, my, my, so my all, all those deals were then, they basically would flow through Dentsu as the agency of record, um, but you are, as the consultant, helping them to basically bring these, these new emerging market sponsors to them. Is that how the structure would look like, or...? No, I was a consultant from 2007 to 2010 for IWF strict to helping ah, right. them. So you're working directly with IWF, so the deals are done with IWF, not Denso. Still based in Dakar. I have never been based in Monaco, Marcus, mm. compared to what they say. They say in the press that I've been uh, controlling marketing, sorry. In 2006, Luis Carrilla 
my former colleague in ISL became marketing director of uh, ISL, uh, IWF. And Cynthia Molinari also we used to work for the Athletics Department of ISL. They uh, were running the marketing department of the IWF and PRYs and the PRYs. Mm. I was based in Dakar. They will need me for a specific negotiation. I will go come back to Dakar. So I, I was just uh, on a mission. But in 2010, after bringing in close to $45 million of deal, then mm. she said to me, we need to sign an agreement with you because you're a perfect salesman. <laughs> I said, uh, we can do it, but you will pay me a commission. I'm not charging a commission to buy the black. I'm just taking a pair of $1,200 per day, but uh, with my airfare and my hotel. But if it's you, you'll pay me a commission. They agreed. And we negotiated with my sports marketing company called Pamodzi Sports Marketing. Mm -hmm. Because the company that I was, as a consultant was ISL, with IWF was called PMD Consultant, which was my own personal advisory company. I had that company since uh, 2004, and I was working only into giving advice to sporting authorities, to political authorities. It's an advisory company, a consultancy company, like it can publicist company, McKinsey, anything like that. So, Robert, let me let me get this right here uh, because I'm an agent too, right? We make money by getting yeah. paid commissions, not per diems, right? At least not in my world. Uh, you know, so you're saying for I don't know, several uh, early parts of the of the of your consulting agreement with IWF, you were basically just on some sort of retainer, um, and you didn't get a penny out of the sponsorship or the the money you bring into the organization. Yes, yes, that was it. Uh, I, I, I when I brought in the sponsorship for the Samsung Diamond, the Samsung Diamond League, the Diamond League, uh, my father refused to pay me. He said to me, "You cannot get a commission out of it." I brought nine million dollars for Samsung for three years. Wow. At the end of the, 2012, I said to him, listen, uh, I brought you Sinopec uh, that give $1.5 million for the Continental Program. I brought you Samsung for $9 million. I brought you uh, VTB that is giving you $4 million for the Continental Program. I give you also Sinopec was paying for the prize money of the World Championship in Beijing. So mm -hmm. that amount of money is $24 million. I cannot just uh, <laughs> work on Persian. You had a so bad deal there, my friend. <laughs> uh, listen, Marcus, can you believe uh, Papa Jack is charging to the IWF 5% commission? That was what I was charging. And people are now shouting at him, but you, it is too much. We cannot be per. I say, this is the minimum somebody can charge in the sports marketing industry because in Nigeria or in South Africa, I was charging to the Football Federation 30%. Yeah, I mean, yeah 5% <laughs> is not a big mark. It's, it's, a, it's a very, that's the low end of the scale, that is for sure. Um, but so the the five percent was coming in when that was coming in at a later time when you then had a deal with Denso. Is, is that correct? No, I, uh, then uh, I worked with Denso. I went uh, to they asked me to sign an agreement with AMS because AMS is based in Europe. Denso, being a listed company in Japan, mm -hmm. could not be seen like signing a contract with the son of the IWF president. They said yep. to me, AMS is our European uh, affiliate. Mm -hmm. You sign an agreement. We give you exclusivity to sell in nine markets around the world. Right. Russia, India, China, uh, Mexico, Turkey, uh, Emirates uh, of United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, and also uh, if you want to explore the African market or the Caribbean market, you are free. But I have only mandate to sell in nine 
emerging market out of 250 member federations of the IWF had only free access and exclusivity in those nine markets. That's it. Understood. So now where does it, I mean, you know, let's get a bit into this, uh, and you alluded a bit already earlier, that so something obviously went wrong there. Um, you know, all of a sudden you started to see um, certain things emerge, um, and it maybe started off a bit with Russia there um, with the 2013 World Championship and doping scandals and other stuff. And, and unfortunately, your name obviously started to pop up in the press for somewhat, I would say, the wrong reasons, right? So. Tell, I'd love to hear your side. You know, we, we, I always believe there is always two sides to the story. So, you know, what, what we read in the press is one. But what is your side of it? Uh, I can tell you, Marcus, everything started in 2013 when a publication of a British paper called Daily Mail uh, wrote an article on the 6th of July 2013 saying that uh, the World Championship in Russia should be cancelled because there's a doping problem with Russia Mm. So I re everybody, I remember reading that, yes. And then immediately we had an internal meeting in the IWF because Papa Jack signed Russia in 2007. Everybody will ask me, Papa, can you come and help? What's the problem? Russia had Nick Davis, the general secretary, the deputy general secretary in the of communication. His wife, Jen Bulter Davis, worked for the doping department, which is uh, like uh, an ongoing area for anybody working night like I never met a member of the doping department. But I was told that six, six Russian athletes, or seven, were into the uh, list of track and field athletes involved in the World Championship coming to Russia. Mm -hmm. And that would be a scandal because those athletes are targeted for doping sanctions, something like that. I was mm -hmm. going to Russia. My father asked me to go and meet Mr. Valentin Baranishev, the president, which I know very well because he's my business partner in, in Russia, because he introduced me to so many companies in Russia. He was vice minister of sports. I went to him and said to Valentin, you have a big drop. Have you seen the article of Daily Mail? You better uh, try to fix it up, because uh, otherwise our world championship will go to bad publicity and your ticket sales will, uh, will go sour. And we tried to fix it together. That was the first time in my life since I've been in sports marketing that I got involved into doping matters. Hmm. Because I was asked to send, uh, bring some letters from the Mr. Gabriel Dole and Thomas Capdevial. Nick Davis asked me to discuss Valentin a marketing strategy. And he even recommended that we use the company of Sebastian Co. called CSM to hmm. try to calm the, the British press. And uh, he asked me for a budget to be at his own uh, control. So that is all documented. Hmm. When then the matter became uh, with uh, the broadcast of uh, Hans Joachim Seppert. Uh, so all that matter, Valentin, I tried to save him from that situation because he was the president of the Federation. He had his doping problem. And he asked me to pay one transfer into a company based in Russia owned by uh, somebody. I don't even know that person. I, I say, oh, Valentin, I, I have uh, about $400,000 from your own money from the VTB deal. I'm ready to transfer it. I have no problem. I have a friend in Singapore. He can do it for me. And I asked my friend, uh, okay, Senegal cannot authorize it. Let me send it to you. That was the biggest mistake, Marcus, of my life. Right. Eventually, that, that athlete was the husband of a high-profile athlete in Russia. She was caught for doping. She claimed that she gave some money to the coaches. 
listen, that was the end of the story. Then I got myself into ethics commission with Michael Beloff and uh, Anthony Hooper. But from my side, my serious, serious, serious side of the story is this issue of doping in Russia was just used by the British group within the IWF, Nick Davis, Sean Wallace-Jones, you, Roberts, Sepko, Jan Bulter, and Michael Beloff to make sure that they can corner Lamin Jack to get the presidency of the IWF. That's all. I can summarize it to that. It was a political plot campaign to just tarnish my father's leadership and make sure that they get the IWF presidency. As you remember, as early as uh, the 27th of November 2014, Sepko declared his candidature in Lekki. Mm. Four days after uh, Mr. Mark Ventuyak published a story, uh, Russia did it corrupt IWF with stories with Valentin Baranchev, Papa Jack, Habib Sisse. Then on the 7th of December, the airing of the ARD broadcast, boom, all stories started. 9th of December, Mr. Koh was asking for Russia to be excluded from the IWF. So that's yeah. what I told my father. This is it. This is <laughs> the plan. They will get the IWF presidency because uh, it looks like they have a sword on your neck. <laughs> so you better give them that presidency, otherwise you will be destroyed yourself. And uh, he didn't take it seriously. He did not take it seriously. We get into now investigation by, by Richard William Pound and uh, Craig Reddy launched, like Craig Reddy was supporting openly Sebastian Coe. He went to campaign with him in uh Jamaica, he, he was in Beijing. I saw him in the corridors of Intercontinental uh, trying to rally voices for Sebastian Co. So for me, seriously, this doping matter. They claim 23 Russian athletes pay to offshore company owned by Papa Masataya. Sorry, Marcus. I don't need to bring $260 million where I can make between 5 to 8% deal and go, my, <laughs> go and ask for envelopes <laughs> by athletes. I've never met any athlete in my life to discuss any cases. I've never met a coach. I've never met a manager in Russia, in Turkey, or Germany, or Monaco. This is pure fabricated lies. Right. The report of WADA was totally, totally uh, uncontradictory. He never auditioned me. He never auditioned my father. He never auditioned Hadim Sise. They went to deliver the report to Paris court saying that there is some people in the IWF blackmailing Russian athletes. Up to now, up to now, there is no evidence of one single transfer of athletes coming into Papa Jack Company's account or Papa Jack personal account. Up to now, after five years of investigation, they've been not able to produce one deal. They said, uh, we got paid by Russia for 6 million euros for the TV rights. I brought to, to the court uh, in Paris the real letters from Russia, the television paid $1.2 million that year. Hmm. So, so to summarize it, what, what you're just saying here is basically um, somehow there is a, you know, let's call it, uh, there was a, a project to dislodge your father um, from the presidency and, of course, putting another person in there um, from the U.K., 
Um, on the back of it, um, allegations were created and started, um, which obviously then dragged the entire federation in a, in a huge hole, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, this wasn't just about people anymore. It was also about IAF and, you know, and, and doping has never been that far away from, from uh, athletics, unfortunately, right? Um, and it probably always will be, but like swimming or certain other sports, you know, cycling, uh, where it is just so closely related there. Um, you know, so you, you were basically saying, you know, in a nutshell, this was uh, as, as much political as it maybe had other, other, you know, whatever underlying, you know, reasons behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, Russia, unfortunately, we talked about geopolitics with the uh, annexation of uh, Ukraine, yeah. the standing of Russia in the Middle East with Syria, uh, the fact that uh, Russia is under sanctions by most of the European. Nations like France canceled the two ships that they sold to Russia, military ship for almost one. So Russia was in a very controversial political situation, and uh, you know. But when it comes to the UK, uh, for Coe, Coe was the chairman of the press commission in the IWF. Mm -hmm. Cho, Coe was member of the marketing commission of the IWF. So obviously, after organized successfully in London, his agenda was to be IF president and to become IOC member. It is legitimate. But everybody in the corridor of ISL was saying, my father supports Sergei Bubka. He's in favor of Sergei Bubka. And that was a totally fabricated lies. I mean, Jax made openly clear, I will choose my successors between uh, Sebastian Ko and uh, Sergei Bubka. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, uh, I, remember the, I remember those stories in the, in the press, yes. But, but my father has the only competition. The best can, uh, will win. I think I told Sebastian Ko face to face in Shangri-La in Beijing in April 2015. I said to him, all this press campaign against IWF, it's you. I said, face to face. I've got pictures to substantiate. I've got SMS messages with Seb Ko. BBC came to interview me. I showed them the SMS I received from Ko. They were shocked. When they photocopy, they wanted to publish it in the UK. They got a court order not to publish it. I said to them, listen. This is all Sebastian Co and Nick Davis, who plotted with Mr. Mike Lee of Vero Communications. He was a good political campaigner and a good lobbyist. But mm. for me, it's the story. Finish. I will not enter. We'll go to the courtroom. Uh, I've never seen that in my life. A case where the investigation committee never, never, never answer, never get questions to the accused person. The, you take the case, you take it to criminal court. So they wanted to be sure. They filed it on the 1st of uh, August 2015, two weeks before the IWF presidential elections in Beijing. They just wanted to be sure that Lemin don't play a funny game by supporting Bupta. That's all. Once they, they got it, they said to oh, now it's payback time to call. They took the matter to France and they asked him to come and answer to Monaco to file a complaint against my father. My, my father made coup. He became IDF council member in 2003. He became vice president in 2007. Every decision that Lamin Jack took in the IWF, Co was behind, totally behind. He never, never, he was in the executive committee with Bubka, with Bob Hirsch, with Helmut Deagle, with uh, uh, the, the Korean guy, the Chinese guy, uh, I remember, I forget his name. Everybody was there and Dahlan, Ahmad of Qatar, but suddenly said, I, I was not aware, I was not aware, I was not aware. So mm -hmm. for me, 
the typical politics of sports. I have to say, I I, I hate that part of the of our industry. Uh, you and me are from the entrepreneurial side. I'm not into politics. I've never run a political agenda. I'm a truly entrepreneur. But uh, I found this was really paying a lip service to a man that has uh, sacrificed his life for athletics. My father spent 39 years in IWF, 23 years as vice president, 16 years as president. He brought into $925 million of sponsorship contract and wow. television. He, he left the organization with reserve uh, over one annual calendar budget. The reserve were at $74 million. And they're telling us you, you receive envelope of $1.5 million, million from athletes. Up to now, they cannot prove it. Even in the courtroom in Paris, they're struggling. They're sweating. Now they're making all this noise, uh, press releases and things like that because they've hired a PR agency to do the all noise. They don't have any proven fact to uh, corner Mr. Laminjak. And we'll see who, the hand of it. Who is actually, who is, um, in a sense, the, um, the, the lawsuit is by who? Who is actually the accuser? Listen, listen, uh, Marcus. The, the most important part, the most funny part, the World Anti-Doping Agency set up a uh, uh, commission, and they said they investigate marketing contract <laughs> and awarding of world championship and Olympic games. So it's what Wada is the Wada is the one who filed it. All oh, right, okay, okay. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've... Which is which is totally. They don't have a, a legal base to do it. The World Anti-Doping Code doesn't allow them to, to investigate any sports federation for a sports marketing contract or television contract or awarding of a championship. Yeah. The Olympic Charter doesn't catch up for that. They know. The IOC <laughs> yesterday asked for one euro. <laughs> That's all they ask. They say they know that they, they cannot substantiate that. Mm. Now we're arriving to a situation where they put into disrepute the sports of athletics because of political campaign. IWF lost uh, uh, six sponsors. Three of them are mine. Mm. Uh, Coca-Cola, uh, uh, Toyota, Canon, and uh, Adidas walked away. Uh, uh, VTB walked away. Sinopec walked away. Uh, Abu Dhabi Media is walking away uh, from last year, finished. So, so many sponsors walked away. Samsung walked away. Everybody, because they're working with Papa Masato Jack. They were uh, uh, my client. And uh, now the, the 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 marketing deal between Denso and IWF uh, during my father's presidency was eighteen million dollar per year. Now, then, before leaving, Lamin was able to secure it uh, to President Jack secure it to twenty two million dollar per year to two thousand twenty nine. Now I understand uh, with the new uh, deal they gonna get only thirteen million dollars from Denso. That's all they can get. Uh, they mm -hmm. say no, no, because of the doping scandal. I say no, no, because of your stupid. A political campaign because uh, this doping matter uh, after claiming that 23 athletes paid to uh, the Jack family now they're fighting for just substantiating the case for one case one marathon runner called Lilia Shobukova that's what they're now fighting for after 23 I say but how about the 22 <laughs> where did it disappear so uh, it's a political game so let's not spend our time into it
Yeah, we see the hand yeah, look, I mean, that's why I let you keep talking because uh, I'm just fascinated by that, by it, and uh, and 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 you know, and it's sad to hear, of course. Uh, but uh, you know, but um, and I, I want to move on because there's plenty of other really interesting yeah. topics I want to talk to you about. Um, but uh, just a quick one because I've seen some images recently of your father. Uh, obviously, he's he's getting older. Um, uh, how is he? Maybe just a quick uh, update there from your side because he is uh, he is still in France, right? I believe, or you know. The French, uh, the court case is still on. It's going to be the last day today. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll get the, the court decision. And uh, uh, I think it's a long process, uh, appeal court or uh, court of cassation. But he's okay. He understands now what happened to him. He's a uh, you know, very religious man, as you know. Uh, you know he's uh, a good. He believes in God and he believes in his destiny that he was meant to be his destiny. Mm. It's very sad after 39 years, after doing so much work, has, after universalizing the sports of athletics, bringing the world championship into all big markets around the world, India, China, uh, Korea, and then uh, the Caribbean, we had the world release in Bahamas. Uh, Bahamas walked away from that. They wanted to host it for 10 years. Uh, so many countries, Japan canceled the world championship in 2009. 19, they gave it to Qatar. So I think uh, uh, they really put the, the sports of athletics in this field. And it's always the British press, Daily Mail, Guardian, Independent. In 2010, uh, there was an article from Mr. Neil Wilson in March 2010 saying that after my father's presidency, the work, the athletics, uh, IWF athletics will be uh, in bankruptcy. That's basically the the, the, the title of the article mm. was a big picture of, Seb of Sebastian Coe. <laughs> okay. My father, when he saw it, he said, Seb Coe, why would you be claiming that IWF will be bankruptcy? I will leave you, when I join the IWF, uh, the uh, TV rights for the Olympic Games, our share of revenue in the Olympic Games was $9 million. Mm. I brought it to $45 million in London. Right. So, how can you believe that the sports of athletics will be in bankruptcy? So that's at that time, 2010. So the media attacks have been always the case and coming from one country, either British or Germany. <laughs> so that was uh, Mr. Mr. Joachim Seppert, I'm sure was working very closely with WADA uh, because one of the investigators is a German guy called Gunther Junger uh, from uh, the police in Munich. So I think, uh, you know, for me, the case is finished. We, we will pass on to something else, but definitely. Let's yeah, then let's move. On. Yeah, and and I mean, I think it, this was great, uh, and, and I'm almost certain everyone is listening. Uh, you know, here is your here's your side of it, uh, and that, I think that's important. You know, people do need to hear this. Um, but I do, like as I said earlier, I want to I want to do. There's a few other really interesting um, elements I wanted to touch on, and and let's get in there now. Um, and it's sort of you know you, you're an African entrepreneur, um, you know, born, uh, grew up there, but you also tra you know spend you know most of your life or or many parts of your life around traveling around the world, um, you know, and, and if you, you know, and if you look at what's happening in the U.S. right now, with, you know, the racial tensions there and everything else, uh, I'd love you to talk a bit about that. Um, you know, what did you encounter on your in your own world, um, and how did you deal with it uh, before we go into the, the world of sports in Africa going forward? For me personally, when I was seventeen, I was sent for boarding school in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it was not an easy process. In 1982, being in uh, the vineyard uh, region of France called Burgundy, mm -hmm. that's where I landed. Right. And I was there for uh, two years. So that was a very challenging time for me because most of the people there never used to see a black man. All right. But funny enough, I was like adopted. I was the flavor of the city sometimes. <laughs> that they, would look, they would invite me for big uh, dinners uh, uh, in, in their home to try to discover my culture, my background, my education. Mm. Uh, for me, that was a way of opening up, and that really helped me to do a sports career. I went to ISL in 1990. I was in the U.S. in uh, San Diego. I was in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, uh, University of Hartford. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I had the pleasure to travel the world. I never suffered from racism uh, except these last uh, few days, what I, a few years, what I've heard from us after spending an international career. I uh, was fortunate to live with Nelson Mandela. Uh, in 1995, at the final game of the Rugby World Cup in, mm. uh, in uh, the state of South Africa. Mm. Marcus, when I saw Mandela coming in with the Springbok jersey, with the Springbok Cup, uh, with the Protea sign onto it, for me, the racism was gone. For me, at that time. Right. And uh, you can see the film. So, what I'm seeing now, with racial tension in the U.S., I think it's all have to deal with economic situation. When the economic situation are tense, people have a tendency of uh, everybody going back to his community, protect his, his own bottom line. Mm -hmm. And that's unfortunately the case in the U.S. They focus so much on to not grow because society with culture, with education. Everybody deal with money, economic issues. Right. When money is scarce, the situation is always scarce. When there's money is flowing, the job rate is low, you won't hear anybody. But with now this COVID situation going on, with the uh, economic situation now, 23 million or almost 30 million of USA people lost their jobs. Yes. You, you definitely have to face all kinds of situations. This is the kind of situation in, in, in France, in Italy. When uh, an Italian or a French guy loses his job, he says it's because of the migrants. Too much migrants are coming to Africa, from Africa and from the, the Middle East. That's why we're losing our job. Mm -hmm. So these uh, identity issues are all dealing with the matter of uh, economic matter. Mm -hmm. So me, I'm, I'm a very tolerant person. Uh, I face some, 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 some difficult situations sometimes, but I always overcome it. There is the same blood all our body. We have the same reflex, the same passion, uh, you know, and uh, I think we have to just try to do like Nelson Mandela. He's my best teacher. When I saw him forgiving people that put him in jail for 27 years, for me, I can forgive anybody. I have no clue. You saw me in ISL. I was in good terms with everybody. I was inviting people at my home. I was cooking Senegalese dish for every, the Puleyasa for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in good terms with everybody. I go out. I'm not. I'm a Muslim. People will bring their uh, wine or beer or gin or tonic or whiskey. I'll take my Coca-Cola. No problem. <laughs> I was, you know. Yeah, I like your metaphor and, and your learning from Nelson Mandela. I think that's that's awesome. I think that's a really nice way to uh, to frame it. Um, like you said, how long he was in prison, 
let's forget the past. Uh, let's talk about the slavery. Let's forget it. Because if you look at the past, when you are walking and you are looking at your uh, at your back, you will you will you will fall. Uh, you should be walking, looking at in front of you, ahead of you. You don't look at even your me. I don't look at my uh, the, this small glass in my car. I just look up front. Yes. <laughs> don't. That's how life. And after all, for example, what happened in IWF? I'm ready to forgive everything. Move, move on. I won things in football, in uh, fencing, in you know tennis, in uh, Formula One. I don't care. So you know, I really want to talk about Africa now um, as this amazing continent, which a already has 1.2, 1.3 billion people. Um, and I was reading that by 2050, the expectation is that the continent will double in size in terms of people. So you know, we're talking potentially 2.5 billion people, um, you know, coming in here in, over the next sort of 30 years. So uh, you know, you know, you'd be a rocket scientist to figure out that this is. Again, the continent of the future is the same way Asia has been maybe over the last 20 years and will still continue, of course. You know, China or India isn't going to get any smaller either um, or, or less powerful. But, uh, you know, Africa is the, is part of the future for, for many generations to come here. So I'd love to talk a bit about what you already see in the world of African sports, um, you know, being already in it for 30 years. Where do you see, you know, let's say, where do you see the next 30 years of African sports heading where are the hotspots? Uh, where are the opportunities? At this point in time, uh, out of the 54 countries in Africa, we only have six big markets for sports. Mm -hmm. One being South Africa, mm -hmm. the second being Egypt, the third being Morocco, the fourth being Nigeria, the uh, fifth Kenya, and then a big, a vibrant uh, country in the sports industry is uh, Ivory Coast. Okay. So... Uh, we still uh, really don't have a very competitive market. Like, example, on television broadcast, we have two main broadcasters, Bean Sports and Emner uh, Super Sports South Africa. Right. They are the ones that are able to buy the rights. So African sports has, in terms of participation, a very good potential because out of these 1.6 billion people, the 65% are under 30 years old. Yeah, it's a very young, young population. And that is the dynamic of Africa, contrary to Europe or Asia. The population in Europe and Asia is aging. Yes. While in Africa, we're getting, in South America, Caribbean, we're getting very young people. Hmm. So now the federations have to develop sporting properties to, by targeting what we need. But we need to have uh, sports very developed in schools, schools programs. That's what we need to, to focus. And uh, FIFA, IWF, or IOC should really work with the African Sports Federation to help uh, nurture the talents we have in the schools. Then we can be like the NCAA in the US. We have very good potential in basketball. You see now a lot of African players in NBA. We have good potential in athletics. We have good potential in football. But we have good potential in martial arts, Taekwondo. Now, a lot of Olympic champions are from Africa. Mm. So we just need to get organized by developing from the government side good infrastructure and hiring very experienced coach. And I think we had a program in the 70s with Germany to bring into coaches handball, basketball, football. Uh, we used to have the Bundesliga on Saturday 
EV networks in Africa, Africa was very vibrant then. At this point in time, the future is here. We have everything to do in terms of we have everything to do in terms of uh, uh, sporting event. We just need to get there. How how much do you see Africa being really you know when people always say Asia right I always say well Asia is a, there is no Asia the same way there is no Europe right it's very diverse and so is Africa of course right and and it both from an economic development from sizes right I mean you have Nigeria you have two hundred million people and Senegal has fourteen million I mean we're talking huge differences here in just scale size and everything and and everything so you know in many other countries of course so how do you see Africa is is Africa has really a voice a one voice or is it really as diverse and, and, and complicated as every other region in the world? We have blocks. In Western Africa, we had what we call ECOWAS. Mm-hmm. In uh, Eastern Africa, they have their own economic uh, entity. In Southern Africa, they have what they call uh, the COSAFA. So Africa is divided in five blocks. Okay. You have the Northern blocks, the Arab countries, right. Egypt, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco. Then you have what we call West Africa, 16 countries. Then you have eight countries in uh, East Africa, with Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, and all that, Eritrea, Ethiopia. Then you have the Central African region, which is Cameroon, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea, uh, Cam- uh, uh, South Tome and Principe. So Africa can only work in regional blocks because traveling in Africa, Marcus, is the biggest nightmare. Uh, you want to join... Uh, Nigeria, you want to go to Nigeria, sometimes you have to go to London <laughs> to, go, to come back wow. <laughs> to Nigeria. Okay. Uh, Nigerian, but because uh, of the scarcity of regional airlines. Right. So that's the biggest challenge. We have a problem of travel and we have a problem of infrastructure roads. Now that's the big challenge. That's why we're borrowing a lot of money from China to build infrastructure. Without infrastructure, we cannot develop our continent. Bu- uh, uh, stadium building. For sports, by example, the government are now spending millions to refurbish the, 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 the stadium that Germany and China built in the 70s and 80s. Mm. We have stadiums that are 40 years old. So we need to scrap them and try to develop new stadiums at the norm of host FIFA events or IOC. Senegal will be hosting in 2022 the, uh, uh, the Youth Olympic Games. So we're going to oh, okay. be spending... 22, right. Yeah, 2022. The first time the Olympics is coming to Africa, to to, to Africa. Yes, uh, Senegal awesome. will be the pioneer of hosting an Olympics in Africa. So this is the Youth <laughs> Olympics time. in your country. I love it. Yeah, Lamine Jack, uh, Kebambe. We had big leaders in sports uh, federation. Well, I hope I get it. I hope I get an invitation there. Oh no, definitely. You are already extended because <laughs> we are going to have 30, 32 sports on display in uh, in Senegal. And that will be uh, played around the uh, coast uh, in uh, Sali, Yamnyayo, and Dakar, in three right. host cities. So that's basically the that's future of Africa. As an entrepreneur, I believe very much sports industry can grow, but we need to get it more competitive. We need to get more TV broadcasters to buy into rights, which is not the case right now. Right now, the market limited to the four big players. When it comes to sponsorship, African companies can sponsor, but you have to really sweat. Most of the time, they have to get a decision from a government official mm. and give, give the instruction to support one sports or one club. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, most of the time, it's called like a philanthropy or mecena. 
But uh, me, I, I've been able to prove with my venture in Pamodzi in five countries that uh, sports is an industry. I've worked with many governments. Now, most of them understand what is sponsorship, what is TV rights, what is TV broadcast of a sporting event. And uh, the clubs are becoming more and more professional. Now, there is 34 clubs in Africa that are up to European standards. But we still need, we have over 3,000 clubs. But uh, 34 are really up to the European standard. At this point time. So two, we, two we have a long yeah. There's a margin of maneuver for growth in Africa. I got two questions there for you, uh, Papa. One is, um, of course, you know, talk, talk a bit about what are the, the big sports in the in the in the continent. Uh, football is the obvious, um, you know, and obviously you guys are you know producing amazing uh, you know footballers from you know uh, who are playing all over the world. But what would you be considering the not the second biggest sport in in the continent or in general? Um, you know, what is really what people are following? Basketball. Basketball. Okay, so football is the obvious number one. Basketball number two. The NBA is launching the Basketball Africa League. Are you aware of that? I think I read it. Yes, I, I did. I think I remember reading about yes, it. Yes, uh, the vice president of NBA is a Senegalese guy called Carlo Fall. Uh -huh. He's from Senegal also. He used to be an NBA player. He, he's going to be running it from South Africa. They're going to be in five African uh, countries. They built uh, basketball arenas. This, uh, NBA is launching a basketball yeah, application. Right. Yeah, I remember reading that. It's, it's, it's fairly recent, right? It's not that long ago when they announced it, right? Yeah, yeah. Last it year, was right? delayed because of the of the COVID-19 uh, mm -hmm. uh, pandemic. Uh, That's right. the, 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 all the mechanisms are ready. The sponsors are ready. The broadcast, everything is arranged mm -hmm. for launching a basketball. Then number three, potentially, we can be very, 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 very big in martial arts. Taekwondo, karate, judo. Uh, have a very big potential. We, are, we have Olympic champions now. And fencing also can be good. Wrestling can be good. Cycling, cycling very popular. Cycling is very popular now. Okay. Uh, swimming also very popular. And when these sports you're listing here, this is sort of you, you're looking at from a Pan-African point of view, not necessarily Senegal point of view, right? Is it, no, 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 no. Pan-African. Uh, right, okay. Listen, Interesting. Uh, Marcus, out of 54 African countries, Papa Jack has been into 42. I can talk about Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I know you can. That's why I, I just want to make sure our listeners also, uh, yes. that's why I wanted to double check that. So I lived personally in 19 African countries. Yeah, because cycling I, and, uh, you know, what you said, some of the martial arts forms, um, wrestling. I have to admit, I, it was never, it would be never be sports I would sort of associate Africa with. So that's why I'm just double checking. That sounds interesting. Uh, that's cool. It's very popular, Marcus. Very, very popular. Right. Especially cycling. Uh, these days, uh, all the big countries or big cities are uh, big countries are organizing their two, two, like the Tour de France, oh, Burkina right. Faso, Ivory Coast, uh, Morocco, Algeria. Everybody is into it now, and uh, it's becoming very, very popular with uh, uh, the, uh, the live television broadcasts, uh, special programs, uh, cities uh, promotion. Uh, you know, yeah. we we have a young population, so that's the advantage of it. And most of the kids are into it, but we have to be careful. We have to be careful with uh, esports and gaming. Yeah, most I was of just the kids ask now. about that, right? So where where do you see that heading? No, but uh, that's our biggest competition. That's why the sports federations and the government have to wake up. Otherwise, all our kids will be just uh, uh, on esports and and gaming. And uh, the, you know, they the YouTubing, they are into Netflix. They are me. I believe Netflix, YouTube, 
all these companies have a big, big figure into Africa if, if they, they, because they can come into uh, the content of sports content to try to drag into a lot of audience from the youth population. Because all my kids, my seven years uh, old daughter, she she has her own YouTube channel, her own, you know, wow. <laughs> everybody uh, is into uh, antique, uh, new technology. So, uh, how, how big is esports already? If you compare, uh, you know, traditional sports to esports, how big would you do you see uh, them already? Oh, no, not that big. Uh, only on five to six market, uh, which are where those that have internet uh, market, which have good connection. All right, okay. So that's part of it, of course. The infrastructure still has to be developed. But but the flavor the flavor is all over. everybody is into it gradually mm-hmm. yeah interesting now another question I, I was going to ask you is you know when I came here to Asia you know 25 years ago um, you know I've always said you know Asian from Asia from a sports marketing point of view was sort of 10 15 years behind the Western world right? and obviously they've caught up uh, in many levels but it, it's still it's clearly not anywhere near as sophisticated and and uh, and well put together as Europe or US or Australia which are you know way ahead still how far if you now use that as a comparison would you put Africa where is Africa be, how many years is, or, or you know is it 10 20 years behind of the Western world where do you see it uh, I'll say uh, 10 years behind the Western world because uh, you know most of the young populations like people like me who lived in Europe you know uh, our fathers only few of them went to Europe but we our generation anything below 45 uh, years old mm. most of us have spent at least uh, 15 years to Europe. And when we came here, we set up our companies like in Europe. Uh, we have the European standards right. uh, in our houses, uh, the housing, uh, it's, uh, but when it comes to uh, uh, TV production, we're still far behind, maybe 20 years behind Europe. Mm-hmm. When it comes to even organization, uh, we still don't have the mechanism of, uh, of Wimbledon or Roland Garros or uh, UEFA Champions League match. We are still at the 1990s uh, during our ISL time standards. Right. So, uh, so that's that's how I can rate it. But right. definitely, we're catching up uh, because uh, people like me who are sharing our experiences with seminars. We are doing uh, coaching seminars with a soccer club. We are doing the same with uh, uh, federations, Olympic committees. Hmm. So gradually, uh, but the biggest sponsor in Africa is still government. Right. Mm. So government is public administration. Public administration has its own laws and procedures. So sometimes you can be a successful entrepreneur, very business oriented, very successful. But if you don't know how to deal with public administration, you will fail. Yes, true. Uh, that's a, and it's still in, that's uh, it, partially in Asia still as well. So you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Big officials and government officials don't like to be challenged. Yeah, for sure. Now, while we're wrapping it up here, what 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 are you exactly involved in right now? Um, are you involved in in the in the Youth Olympics, which come to Senegal, or or where do you spend currently your focus and time on? Uh, just just give me that as your as our last sort of uh, parting words here. Funny enough, for the last five years, I've taken a break. Okay. <laughs> I, I just organize some seminars in my home. When people come, I give them some culture in the board and how to sell a marketing deal, how to do a TV uh, contract and things. I can share it with uh, sports marketing students. Uh-huh. Uh, some uh, clubs send me their marketing director. 
I can help him with a contract. So I, I, because after what happened to my father, I was so disappointed and disgusted by all this political, because I knew the political background behind it. Yeah. Uh, I just decided to take a break. I'm involved into agriculture. Yeah. I'm involved into real estate, real estate big time. Okay. I'm involved into mining, m mining. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm developing uh, right now a joint venture company into oil industry because Senegal has discovered some oil. Okay. So for the four years, I've tried to divert yes. myself to all the entrepreneurial oh, <laughs> challenges. Entrepreneurial challenge. I love it. Okay. Especially mining. Mining uh, uh, has become one of my passions. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Papa, this was great. I really enjoyed it. First of all, it's awesome to reconnect uh, a bit more after 27 years here. Um, and even the last time we saw each other is, is always many years ago now. So, uh, my friend, you stay well there, please. Um, and, you know, hopefully this, this mess is going to go away soon, including, of course, the, the, the challenges for your father has. Um, and I'm certain that uh, everyone will enjoy our podcast here. This was some great sharing. Really appreciate it, buddy. And I do hope seeing you soon there, uh, if latest there in Senegal in 2022 for the U.S. Olympics. No, definitely. I'm inviting all the people from your sports group to come and join me. I'll be a good host. Uh, uh, at that time, maybe I'll have my own hotel uh, here in Senegal. Awesome. <laughs> and then uh, you'll follow all my um, guests. Uh, thank you very much uh, for connecting with me. This is really a warm heart thing to her from a great friend of mine, a great entrepreneur, which I do have a lot of respect to Marcus Luer. You are a role model to follow up, and I'm very uh, happy to share my experiences and also what I'm going through with you. And I hope to see you very soon. Thank you for the kind words, Papa. I'll see you soon, buddy. Cheers. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.